right, welcome everyone to our first episode of Speaking of Education, our podcast here at Mountain Vernon Ventures. And today is just an opportunity for us to kind of chat as a team. Um, my name is Alex Blumenkranz. I'm the Executive Director of Mount Vernon Ventures. Um, if the other two of you want to go ahead and introduce yourselves, that'd be great. Ben, want to start? Oh, sure. I was going to say ladies <laughs> first, but yeah, I'm Ben Potter, uh, uh, previously a humanities teacher at Mount Vernon, now with, uh, with Mount Vernon Ventures as a uh, uh, consultant of sorts. And soon to be an online teacher. So soon to be an online and teacher. And future teacher. Mount yes, Vernon. very excited. Love that. Uh, and I'm Ann Marsh Rutledge, and I have been a learning coach, instructional coach, curriculum designer, and um, now work just on the curriculum design and consulting team at Mount Vernon Ventures. Well, thanks so much for being here, team. Um, I thought we could just have a conversation sort of about the future of education, a giant, broad topic. Uh, but I thought, uh, you know, some interesting ideas and um you know, just conversation might come out of that. And then we'll see who else we can get on this podcast to continue those conversations. So recently there was a Forbes article that said there are um, two biggest trends in education and it was rethinking what we teach and then rethinking how we teach it. So certainly that sort of <laughs> collects all of the different um, topics and idea under those two headings. So definitely broad, but um, what are your thoughts on either of those or both? Who wants to jump in and just start that, that conversation? Yeah, I think that just uh, both of those remind me of, of the work that we're doing around competency-based education and especially personalized competency-based education because I think the Mount Vernon School as a whole, we're really rethinking what we teach under the lenses of the competencies, but also how we're teaching it because um, it needs to be personalized for our learners with varied pathways and different pacing. And so um, that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind for me is just, mm -hmm. just thinking about all of that exciting work and kind of where we are on our journey and what we still have to do um, in that work. Yeah, I agree. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, uh, I think that uh, increasingly over the past couple of years, uh, competency-based education has really um, clicked with me in a in a in a way. Sp specifically, um, when we uh, switched over to a different uh, LMS and uh, and and started um, basically uh, having to um, um, assess based on competencies uh, very, very, you know, up close and personal. Uh, I re it really showed me um, that in terms of uh, uh, the future of education, what that could look like, um, I don't know how much I retained from my uh, own high school <laughs> education <laughs> um, looking, looking back. Uh, I, I like I, I remember things like the Battle of Hastings was in 1066, and that doesn't seem to do me much good right now. Um, or I'll, you know, I'll remember that maybe I did a book report on Stephen Crane's The Red Badge of Courage three years in a row, which was definitely my fault. I should have read another book. But uh, but at the same time, I'm not entirely I'm not entirely sure 
that I could like grab some type of transferable skill and say, oh, that started when I was in high school and I've carried it with me. Maybe there is one. I don't know. But um, for, for, for me, I think competencies uh, give us give us a way of doing that. Does that make any does that make any sense at all? Yeah. And I think that you're bringing up a really good point about real world learning and doing and uh, I'm excited to see that, you know, how we're changing what we think of as assessment, what we think of as the, the content that's important and thinking about how curiosity and passion can really influence what we're learning and how we're learning it and how we're assessing it. So, yep. Uh, instead of just doing whatever was done to us, thinking mm -hmm. about learning from what didn't work for us and how we can make it better for learners who have jobs that will have jobs that we don't even know exist yet. So, yeah, that's a great point, Amarsh. Um, you know, you, you can read all over the news how the jobs of, you know, the future, well, the future is the next five, 10 years. Um, some of them, most of them haven't even been really created yet. So what are learners or students doing now? What are they learning now in school to prepare them for that? You know, and to your point, Ben, you know, the content that was just like here, this is part of the curriculum, check the box, um, you know, something you had to memorize isn't really relevant anymore. And it's more about those, those soft skills of, you know, can you be a collaborator? Can you be a solution seeker? How do you work in teams? Uh, there was a, a recent article that talked about WeQ. So we've heard about EQ, but now it's WeQ. Um, so many people are working remote. They're trying to be collaborative on Zoom or, you know, another platform. And how do you do that? And when you get back together, what are the skills that you need to really be able to work with other people? Um, and, and what does that look like in schools? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's, there's definitely a viewpoint that you could take that's very pessimistic about the future that our, our current learners are going to inherit. And just thinking about like, they're going to be having to solve a lot of problems that they didn't create. And um, I hope that we are preparing them for uh, really feeling like they can design a better world and have a sense of agency around making a positive impact in their world. I mean, that, that would be one of my biggest hopes is that um, they come out of all of these challenges with a sense of resiliency mm -hmm. that they can take on a lot of problems. And um, I don't know, I, I definitely think that um, using that lens of empathy, especially as we think about like automation and how machines will take over a lot of jobs, there's, there is a human element that can never be replaced. And that's something that um, it will be really important for us to instill in our, in our learners that um, doing the things that a machine can't do and doing them well, teaching them how to interact, just like you were saying, Alex, the collaboration piece and taking the perspective of another person thinking about things from their viewpoint and hopefully creating kids who um, can come together instead of be divided. No, I love, I love that. Um, so certainly staying under the heading of rethinking what we teach. So the two of you have been in the classroom and I do feel very blessed to be at the Mount Vernon School um, that is really innovative with their curriculum and their teaching practices. So maybe can you share just one or two um, 
stories of, of either, you know, actual content or, or an actual experience that students have now that is a, you know, a, a, a different, um, something that we're doing differently as far as the content. Um, you've mentioned some mindsets, you've mentioned some skill sets, you know, what did you, what did you want to focus on? Ben? I, mean, I, I think, yeah, sure. So <clears throat> in, in my particular, you know, uh, subset of the humanities, which is usually history, um, you know, I came from kind of a setting uh, where, uh, uh, you know, for, for history, a lot of the time it's it's focused on content you know uh to to a heavy degree and then you sort of get some skills along with that so uh, it's very you know it may be very uh uh important um you know in a, a u.s history uh survey that um you know that you know uh for example like the difference between the first new deal and the second new deal or something like that and don't get me wrong it's important and you know the the, the new deal is for good reason uh, uh one of <laughs> one of the most you know transformative periods in, in american history <laughs> but uh i think that um <clears throat> what what our humanities team does a lot and we're not alone uh, but what what we would do there is we wouldn't necessarily uh uh you know, <laughs> slam the New Deal, uh, uh, you know, down on the table or try and cram it as forcefully into students' heads as possible and say, which which one did Social Security come from? Was it the first New Deal or was it the second? You know, which one was it? You have to know. Not that that's not important, but, but we might say, okay, how about we craft an argument uh, uh, about uh, why the New Deal historically was important and how it still carries import today politically and socially. And so the skill is expressing an idea or the skill is crafting an argument supported by, you know, relevant and verifiable historical evidence, as opposed to tell, tell me which New Deal Social Security came in. And so it's, it's not that content isn't important, but it's that uh, uh, skills are playing kind of a primary role and mm -hmm. content is, uh, is, is something um, that, that assists in the development of skills. So you get good content, but that content is reinforced because you did something with it, not just because mm -hmm. you, you memorized it. Yeah, and then I also hear you saying that um, you're working on those higher level thinking skills, right? It's not just mm -hmm. about remembering, it's really the application of a skill and the connection to modern day. Right. So kids can really transfer the learning to their own context and, and make a difference. Yeah, exactly. I, I this can that. happen. Oh, sorry. This can happen in a variety of settings too. You know, I mean, we, we do this a lot at Mount Vernon, but um, you know, the, the college board in recent years has really uh, emphasized more argumentative skills uh, as, as, as well. And so, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, like, like some type of, uh, uh, you 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 could teach skills, you can teach competencies, you can teach you know transferable stuff and transform the future of education, you know, without like totally reinventing and radicalizing everything about about school. You know, there there are all sorts of ways to to do this. But I think, at least in my mind, the point is, okay, cool. If we can shift our emphasis as a nation <laughs> onto these transferable skills, then maybe that's a that's a way to keep heading in a, in a good direction. Yeah. 
I agree. I'm thinking about, you know, my background from the elementary lens. Um, elementary is the place for foundational skills. Like you've got to learn how to read, you've got to learn foundational math skills. But, you know, I'm thinking about our fifth grade team who applied the math and uh, a lot of the design thinking skills that they had been learning into a, a playground design project. And so they were using geometry, they were using fractions, they were using measurement, they were using um, their basic operations through the lens of how might we build a playground in our open courtyard space that could really meet the needs of all of the, the learners on the lower campus. And so, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing, which I really feel like echoes what you're saying, Ben, that you're, you're taking the content and the skills, but you're transferring it to their real lives. And, and that's, the stuff that makes them hang on to it, unlike your battle of Hastings that, you know, wasn't relevant for your life, right? You're, you're connecting it to a bigger schema of knowledge and skills that's relevant and important to them. And, and that's definitely something that, that I hope we see more of a more learner centered approach and, and especially building on that authentic um, opportunities for learning. So what I hear both of you saying, which leads into kind of the next part is not rethinking, you know, what we're teaching, but how we're teaching it um, reminds me of a conversation I recently had with Jim Tippin, who is our director of um, our um, MDE program, Maker Design Engineering. And he was talking about um, the increase in technology that, you know, it's everywhere, right? And certainly bringing into schools and education and specifically was talking about the 3D printer where looking at the tools in the maker lab, like the printer, it wasn't so much of, you know, the purpose of this class was to learn how to pre 3D print. So here's the machine, this is where you turn it on, here's the program, here's how you save a file, you push, you know, start, and then suddenly magically this 3D printed figurine or iPhone stand, whatever you design, Sounds great. Out. Yeah, sounds amazing. Um, but looking at the tool, the 3D printer, not so much as the contents, you're not learning to 3D print. You're looking at the tool, the 3D printer, as the material that you're going to do something with. So as you're designing, um, I don't know, fill in the blank, uh, a 3D printed hand for Alex Linkus, who is a student that we worked with a few years ago, and they created a prosthetic hand using um, the 3D printer, or you're making keychains for the front desk, or you're creating signage for a, a particular part of the school. You're using the 3D printer as a tool, but you're doing something with it. And the learning are all the skills of designing and iterating and collaboration with other people and the feedback to get to the final product, which wasn't learning how to use a 3D printer. So like Ben, in your example, learning about the New Deal, yes, you learned about the New Deal and its context and history, but all of the um, historical events that happened and then what, you know, what was the effect on history and the United States because of that content? Or Anne Marsh, like you weren't just learning graphs and measurement and math, but that you used it for something. Does that sound right? Is, is that yeah, yeah totally I, I think anytime you have that real world person or project or product that you can put out there the the better it is right the 
the learners are excited and motivated to make something for somebody um, mm -hmm. instead of just doing a project at school. For sure, for sure. Um, so under those other two headings, I mean, I, I feel like there's so many rabbit holes we could totally go down and um, hopefully we'll be able to unpack those on future podcasts. But anything else that lies under each of those two big buckets that um, popped into your head today during our discussion? Well, I um, just looking in the <clears throat> for the, for those who, who are listening, we're, we're just a reminder, we're looking at the two biggest future trends in education, um, which is a, an article that uh, that uh, popped up in Forbes uh, about a year ago. Um, but uh, uh, one thing that, uh, that the, the writer discusses in the first part is, uh, in addition to, you know, he says soft skills like creativity and communication, yada, yada. He said he would add ethics and diversity to that list. And I think that's exactly right, ethics and diversity. Um, but I also think that combination raises some other important questions too, right? Ethics and diversity. So diversity is incredibly important, especially in, you know, today's day and age, uh, for obvious reasons, but ethics by their very nature can sometimes be particularistic. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an important challenge to think through. How do we teach ethics? How do we, you know, instill the skills of an ethical decision maker without being, you know, too particular, without being narrow-minded or without being too moralistic? You know, how do we think ethically while accounting for a diverse populace, a diverse citizenry, a diverse student body. That to me is maybe one of the most important questions that I think we, we have to think through. And I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I, um, I'm not well read enough uh, yet, but I don't know if we have an answer. <laughs> any, any thoughts there? I, yeah, I think you're spot on, Ben. It was interesting for our work with our next strategic plan. Um, we've been doing a lot of research on you know, capturing signals. So like what are current um, current moments or, or, or current examples that are sort of pointing to where the future is going? And um, something we came upon, and I'm, um, I don't know of anything else at this point, but to my current, um, to my current knowledge, Stanford is the only university in the world that offers a, um, a major that combines ethics and um, technology and like AI. Interesting. So obviously at Stanford, you I feel like they're yeah they're pretty ahead good of everybody else. Yeah, they're, pretty good. Um, <laughs> they're so okay. The fact that they're the only ones, or maybe there are a couple, but it's obviously not a a very um, widespread uh, uh, major yet. But I feel like. You're right. That's definitely something that is important and it's going to be part of the future. It just has to be. That's yeah. a, that's super interesting. And Matt Nealon, our colleague, he said recently to me in a, in a video call, he said, you know, the future is knowing the right question to ask a robot. And I think that is mm -hmm. super relevant. And I may even add, yes, the future is also... <laughs> The future is also getting a human to do the right thing with a robot, you know, or an algorithm or something or something like that. Um, and so I wonder how the folks at Stanford 
are going about that. That'd be, that'd be something I'd love to, I'd love to dig into a bit. Um, and just I, I feel like this totally makes a connection for me about the work that we're doing around social and emotional learning mm-hmm. and just thinking about, you know, a, a piece of social and emotional learning is responsible decision-making mm-hmm. and it's, you know, things like relationship skills and social awareness and self-awareness and like, how do I think there's so many questions that come up about that, right? Like, how are you aware of yourself in terms of other humans? And how are you aware of yourself in terms of a robot? And how do you manage yourself with all of those different Mm -hmm. um, areas? You know, a, a long time ago, we used to talk about code switching, but I think there's an element of that. Like, you know, how do you talk differently to a robot than you would to a human? Or like, how will you make a responsible decision about what you're gonna do with technology versus how do you make a responsible decision about how to treat a peer is a, a really interesting questions for us to think about, you know, working with our, our learners from a really young age in an explicit way to build those social and emotional skills. That's awesome. Um, well, to just kind of wrap it up, I want, I want to be mindful of people's time. I know everyone's so busy. So, um, you know, trying to keep it crispy, but, uh, you know, one, one of the thing I think is always really helpful for certainly teachers and administrators, you know, right now there's so much stress and chaos and the pandemic and online learning and trying to navigate the burnout of, of, you know, the current situation. But what are maybe one or two tangible um, takeaways that a teacher could do right now? I mean, obviously this, this conversation is, is a big one. It can go in many different directions, but is there a place to, that you guys think is um, maybe a good one to learn more uh, information or maybe just something that you can start doing as you think about what we're teaching and rethinking how we're teaching it? One of the things that I talk to teachers a lot about is who is doing the most thinking in the classroom? Is it you as the teacher or is it the learners? And I think that that's a really important first step is making sure, you know, through our inquiry-based approach to learning that the, the people in the room who are doing the most work and the most thinking are the students. Um, And so, you know, taking the focus off of us as teachers and and approaching our practice um, less as actors and more as scientists who are making observations and asking the right questions at the right time to the right kids, that that would be my first, um, that would be my first step is, you know, make it less about you and more about the learners. Love that. It's like the old adage of instead of being the sage on the stage or the the guide on the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Ben, any, any, uh, maybe takeaways or, um, as far as just one, one thing to implement that might yeah. start paying immediate dividends. Yeah. One, uh, I mean, I can't, you know, <clears throat> I can't speak for everybody, but one thing that really, uh, uh, affected my practice, um, is giving students time to evaluate their own work, you know? Mm-hmm. So if they're writing an argument, uh, ask them to, you know, assess, give them a rubric and say, hey, how, how do you think you, you did here? And don't have points attached to it. You know, don't, don't, don't have it as like this, uh, you know, this, this thing that has bearing on their, on their grade. But um, I, I think students really enjoy that. And I'm not entirely sure that they always get uh, entrusted, if that's even the right word, with the, 
with the uh, uh, time and means to really take a look at their own work and say, okay, well, mm-hmm. did I do it? Did, did, I, did I compellingly articulate this point or did I express this idea in the way that I thought that I did? And right. if so, how? Right. And if not, wh- why not? And so that once I uh, really began to experiment with, with self-assessment, I noticed, um, I noticed a, a pretty quickly uh-huh. more engagement. Oh, I love that. Well, thanks so much for this conversation. I'm excited to unpack so many different rabbit holes that have come up for me and, you know, we can invite more and be experts to really dive into some of these different areas for sure. So um, thanks for, for joining us today and being part of our, our launch for this podcast. And um, we'll talk soon. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you.